Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We're going to uh, go back to Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and uh, keep studying in a presence-centered life. And so we'll look at Colossians chapter 1. And uh, we'll get over into Colossians chapter 2, just to give you a little bit, um, if you will, a little bit of a recap. Um, What we've been working through is how to build a presence-centered life. And uh, several of you have asked, like, what is this little head thing that's up there? It just looks weird. That's from a Lego. Uh, I played with Legos when I was little, and I just thought everybody played with Legos. And so many people have said, well, what is that? It's like the headless Colossians man or something that's up there. It's, it's just a little Lego. Because in Legos, I, I grabbed that because like with Legos you build. And so we're building a present-centered life. Uh, but I just want to take you back to really the one verse, not from Colossians, but actually from Genesis that really uh, kind of has led us down this path. So we're looking at Abram's life uh, a few weeks ago when we started this, and we were looking at what the Lord was doing inside Abram. So we know that God came to Abram, and he gave Abram a promise, and he said, I'm going to give you so many descendants, despite you being old, despite your wife being old, I'm going to give you so many descendants that they are then going to outnumber the stars. So Abram is now walking in this promise. We're um, over a decade after this promise has been given. And then now in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, it's recorded for us that when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, so the Lord has appeared. There's been a little bit of silence from what we can gather in Scripture. And now the Lord has appeared to Abram again here. And this is what the Lord says. And I want you to capture this. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. And so what the Lord is saying to Abram here, there's two steps to this. The first step is what God is asking Abram to do. And in this first step, he's saying, I want you to walk before me faithfully and blameless. Really what God is saying is, I want you to walk in my presence. And so what we discover If we beginning here with Abram and we see it all throughout scripture and then modeled in lives here before us, whenever we walk in the Lord's presence or we could say live a presence centered life, that presence is centered on him, then we will begin to see the promises of God then played out. God did not say to Abram, I'm going to let my promise be fulfilled so that you then will live a presence centered life. God says to Abram, I want you to walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then the promise comes. The mistake that we make, we know in life, we looked at um, at the beginning of March, was we chase the promise, but we leave out our part of living a presence-centered lives. And so in this, we are not focused on self-centered lives, 
that the world would want us to, to be focused on, or the world would say, you know, focus on yourself, chase your heart, do what makes you feel happy, get everything that you can, do all of that, and then you're going to be happy. God says that's the wrong equation. You've got to flip it around and chase after his heart, live a present-centered life, and then we will see the promise of God that actually will follow that. We know that when we, and all of us have lived this, I have lived this, when we are living a life focused on self, what we're building is a life that's going to crumble. That life is not going to be able to be sustained. At some point, we're going to hit a wall. We're going to begin to crumble, and we need something to fall back on. Well, God gave us that answer in Genesis 17, verse 1 and 2. Walk before Him. Walk in His presence. Be faithful. Be blameless. And then we will be able to then see the promises of God. Well, that's really what Paul is writing to some believers in the book of Colossians that he hasn't met. He's writing them this letter. He's not met these believers. Paul sent one of his disciples to three towns. The Colossian believers were a result of that. The Laodicean believers were a result of that. And here in this letter, in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul is addressing that. And I can only imagine what it was like for these believers. They didn't have all of the Word of God preserved for them like we have in the beauty of Genesis to Revelation that we call the, the Bible. They didn't have this. They had some of Isaiah. They had a, a few other scriptures that had been passed down to them. But none of this from the New Testament did they actually have. And so I can only imagine what it was like when they were getting this letter from Paul. The excitement that they would get whenever the disciple from Paul shows up and says, Hey, I've got a letter from Paul. Paul's going to share a little bit with us. As I was thinking about that, I went back to, I had to look up the date, I went back to February of 2016 in our family. I have a short video that I want to I share with you. So this is a video of Abby. I asked her if I could share this video. Abby's in first grade, and in first grade, they did a field trip to the post office. They went down to the post office. They got a tour of the post office. And so they're showing them how to write letters, what happens when you mail a letter. And then they went back to class the next day or days after or whenever. And they actually wrote a letter to their family. And then they put that letter in the mail. And then they actually got to see how the mail system worked. And so what Abby didn't know, and I'm revealing now um, six years later is I had already checked the mail on this day. And in the mailbox was Abby's letter. And so I put Abby's letter back in the mailbox because I wanted to capture on film what it was like whenever Abby got her letter in the mail. And this is that video. Daddy, it's my mail! It's my letter, Daddy, she says. Let's hold them back up so it's I can see mail. it. What is Here I'm me? trying to get a photo and get her to show me. Is that what you mail? So there is all of Abby's excitement of the mail that she actually got. She was so thrilled and she, and she couldn't wait to open it. She was the one that wrote it. She knew what was in it. But yet she was still excited to open this thing that had, she had put in a mailbox and then had come to her. I think that that's the excitement that the believers had whenever they were getting this letter from Paul. 
And I can only imagine what it was like for them when they opened up Paul's words and they began to dive in and dissect these words that could help them live out this new relationship that they had with Jesus. So remember what's happening here. You have a group of primarily Gentile believers who have had some Jews infiltrate them and said, what you guys are doing is wrong. And you need to do all of this other stuff and practice it in your life. And they get this letter from Paul and this anticipation, this excitement was inside of them to find out what Paul was saying. And I can only imagine what it was like is they went line by line through Paul's letter and then they begin to have conversation. Hey, did you hear what Paul said? We don't have to do what all of those other people are saying. Paul is telling us that Jesus is enough. We don't have to do X, Y, and Z. Whenever we're in relationship with Jesus, it's it's Jesus plus nothing. And so this excitement, this anticipation is they pour through this and they pour through this and they ingest it and then to begin to live it out. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, where I want to start this morning and then we'll read the beginning of chapter 2. Paul didn't write in chapters, and Paul didn't write in verses. These were added much, much, much later so that we could have reference, and so it would help us then be able to make reference to this. And in verse 28, Paul says, we proclaim him. That alone for this group of believers, those three words were some amazing words. Because all of these people had showed up and said, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and this is the stuff that you have to proclaim. But as they read these words from Paul, we proclaim him. It had to be celebratory words because they were chasing after the heart of Jesus. These were people that were trying to live present-centered lives, and they had other people saying, don't do that, do this. And then Paul says, we proclaim him. These were celebratory words for the Colossian believers. He goes, on to say, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And then in chapter two, follow along to these couple of verses here. Paul says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Paul had not been here to these two churches. Paul had not, he had sent one of his disciples. And so these were, if you will, uh, third generation believers that had come after Paul. These were believers that Paul was investing in. And here at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul says, I am struggling for you. I am laboring for you. And I want you to overcome because we are proclaiming him and nothing else. He goes on. In verse 2 to say this, my purpose, now when Paul says my purpose, we have to pay attention to what he's saying. Because here he's laying out after he goes through his prayer, after he grows through Jesus is sufficient and the supremacy of Christ, he gets practical then with how they should live this out. He's telling about his labor for these people that he's never met, met and then he says, here's my purpose. I'm going to give you the secret right here at the beginning of why I'm writing this letter. Paul says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Paul is saying it's not Jesus plus anything. It exclusively is Jesus and we cannot add anything to Jesus. Paul is really giving these believers the secret for living the Christian life. And he is saying, you have made a great start in your relationship with Jesus. You're doing well. And then there are some smooth talkers that have come in, and they're trying to lead you astray, and they're trying to tell you that this is how you live your Christian life. You've done a complete, you've made a a great start. Now I want you to finish as well as you have started. You know, this is, I think, really sometimes how we begin our relationship with Christ. We yield to the power and the beckoning call of the Holy Spirit. We get on fire for just a little while. We begin this relationship with Christ and we're running strong and we're doing really well. And then some doubters start to cast doubt on us. They start to say, you don't have to do this, and you should do this, and this is where you need to go, and this is where you don't need to go, and this is what you have to do, and this is what you have to do, and all of this other stuff, these doubters are casting doubt, and then the doubt from the enemy begins to creep into our mind, and then we begin to wonder, I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually doing the right thing here. Or sometimes trouble comes, and then we start to doubt. We forget that Jesus said, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome. I am enough for you, is what Paul is saying here. And that is sufficient for every single one of us. That then is to sustain us and to carry us forward and to continue allowing us to build a present-centered life. We start on fire for Jesus. But then something happens. And we start slipping like Pastor Morgan reminded us of two or three weeks ago. But yet we don't overcome or step out of that. We just keep sliding and we keep slipping and we have to stop. And what Paul is saying is the secret here is living a presence-centered life. A life that is centered on Jesus Christ and nothing else. The way to continue sustaining us is to do what Paul has said here in Colossians chapter 2. And so I want to put this uh, verse 2 up on the screen for you, and I've colored it three different parts because Paul has laid out for us what we're going to talk about today. He says, my goal, here's my goal, and at the beginning he gives us two things that we have to catch this morning. First, Paul says that you're encouraged in heart and united in love. Paul says, if you want to live a presence-centered life, This is what you have to do. You have to be encouraged in heart and united in love. Encouraged in heart and united in love. So there is the goal, Paul says. And then he gives us the result. I, I love math. I talk about equations that we find in Scripture all the time. Here is an amazing Scripture that gives us an amazing equation to build a presence centered life. Encouraged in heart plus united in love equals so that, here, catch it, they may have the full riches of complete understanding. 
If you are encouraged in heart, we are united in love. The result are the full riches of complete understanding. Well, you know what that is? That is a presence-centered life. That is not the understanding of what Michael Chambliss is trying to accomplish or any of you may be trying to accomplish in your life. That is the understanding of the presence of God working in our lives, the full riches of complete understanding. And then Paul says, here's another equal to go at the end of this. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, or which is Jesus Christ. Well, how do we get to know Jesus Christ? How is it that we build a present-centered life from what Paul is writing in Colossians 2.2? He says two things, encouraged in heart, united in love. Encouraged in heart, united in love. So let's break it down like this. The goal, so that you're encouraged in heart and united in love. The results are complete understanding of what God is doing, of, of God in your life, and know Christ. The goal, encouraged in heart, united in love. Encouraged in heart, united in love. We're going to talk about that this morning. Those two things are important for us to catch. Encouraged in heart. What is Paul saying here? What is this encouraged in in the word heart here? Sometimes we have a misunderstanding of how the word heart is used in Scripture. We refer to heart as the center of all of our emotions. And so we will talk often about there is a broken heart. I need my heart to actually be mended. We talk about doing things with our hearts rather than our minds. We listen with all of our heart. So we talk about the heart as the center of all of emotions. Paul is not praying that these Christians are going to have an emotional feeling about God. That's not what Paul is talking about here. So when Paul says encouraged in heart, Paul is not talking about our emotion or our emotional being here. What Paul is talking about is the entirety of a believer. And a believer that is entirely encouraged in every single area of his life. Darby says in the Bible commentary, the heart is more frequently used to describe the deepest part of a person. The heart affects every part of a person. The heart speaks of the entirety or the wholeness of a person so that nothing, catch this, is left out and nothing is separated. Paul is saying he wants every ounce of our being. 100% of us, the depths of our soul and everything we possess to be encouraged in the Lord. Paul is not saying it's you're feeling bad, we're going to try to make you feel good. What Paul is saying is if you're up or if you're down, you're encouraged. If you're on a mountain or you're in a valley, you're encouraged. If you're in light or you're in darkness, you're encouraged. If you have a lot or you have little, you're still encouraged. You see, you can walk encouraged in Christ whenever you are living a present-centered life. But whenever you are living a self-centered life, you can be encouraged one minute and discouraged the next. And you're living life on this roller coaster of up and down, up and down, because you're not living a present-centered, a life centered on Him. You're living a life centered on other things. And Paul says, if 
you want to live a life where every ounce of your being and everything you possess is encouraged in the good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, the lot, the little, everywhere, then the way you do that is by focusing on Jesus Christ first. It's the strengthening of every part of our person here that Paul is talking about. Encouraged in heart. Strengthening every bit of us. This deep-seated encouragement that removes all doubt from the enemy. So a present-centered life finds encouragement from the things of God. If you want to live a present-centered life, you have to find encouragement from the things of God. So my question to you this morning is, who is encouraging you? Who's encouraging you? Do you rely on a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend to encourage you? Do you rely on friends and family to encourage you? Do you you rely on payday to encourage you? Do you rely on the news to encourage you? Lord, I hope that's not the case. (laughs) Because there's not a lot encouraging in the news. Who is it that's encouraging you? You have to know the answer to this question. And so if we were to sit here this morning and I were to ask you, get out a piece of paper and start writing down where you find your encouragement. Is it in your job? Is it in your children? Is it in trophy cases from years gone by? Where is your encouragement? In the book of Hebrews, the writer says in Hebrews 3.13, but exhort, the word here really could be encourage, but encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know what Paul, or do you know what the writer of Hebrews here is, is saying to us? Our job in the church is to encourage one another every single day. If we want to keep one another from the deceitfulness of sin, we have a job to do. And that is to encourage one another. Do you know why God gave this responsibility to his bride, the church? Because we can find encouragement first in him. And as one of us are up, another may be down. As one of us are uplifted... On the mountaintop, somebody else may be downcast and in the valley. And God established and placed all of us in the church, united in Him, united in His love, so that we could encourage one another. We could encourage our hearts. And if you are finding your encouragement outside of the church, what you are doing is not building a life centered on Him, presence centered on Him. You are building a life revolving around where you are, in fi- where you are finding your encouragement. And you know what's going to happen? We sang about it in this last song that we sang. There's no living hope outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so where you may be finding your encouragement is an encouragement that is going to falter and fade away at some moment. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. But whenever you find your encouragement within the relationships found in the body of Christ, then it is based on living a life that is present-centered on Him first. Paul said, I've given you my goal. 
you have to be encouraged in heart. So you have to find and answer the question of where you are getting your encouragement. Then in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12, two people are always better than one because by working, keyword, together. (laughs) Together. Here is the beautiful picture of the body of Christ. We're working together, not against one another. Whenever we're working against one another or whenever we're pulling this direction or that direction, we are not living present-centered lives together. But whenever we are united together, we're all going the same direction because we are chasing after Jesus Christ. And so then there are no disagreements, right? Right? No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Have you ever been anywhere where there wasn't any disagreements? I've never been there. I thought that when Melissa and I got married, we were never going to have any disagreements. I was convinced that this was this perfect idea of marriage that we were going to live in. And then we got to Valentine's Day. Have I ever told you our Valentine's Day story? The, one of the biggest disagreements we ever had. We've only been married for two weeks. Two weeks from January 24th to Valentine's Day. Maybe that's three weeks. I can't do math. But, so anyway, less than a month we've been married. And I didn't buy her a card I thought it was okay not to buy her a card because I had bought her something else. All she wanted was a card. And so then, stupid me, fixer of fixers that I am, there was a Hallmark Hallmark store not too far from our house. So whenever she was upset that she didn't get a card, she was right, I should have bought her a card. What man, the first Valentine's Day that you're married, doesn't buy your wife a card? Me. (laughs) Me. So then I went to the Hallmark store trying to make up for this, and I bought a three-foot-tall card. Well, you know what that was doing? Pouring salt on a wound. (laughs) I thought, I'm fixing it. I thought, man, if she didn't, she was upset of a little card, she's going to be so excited about a huge card. No, she wasn't. You see, even in a relationship that God ordained, there sometimes are disagreements. And you know what? That's okay, because we've had... A bunch of Valentine's Days after that. And you know what I do? I get a card. I don't care what else happens. I know. My job, get a card. We're going to always have cards on Valentine's Day. We got past that. You know why? Because we were together. We were together. We encourage one another. And we are not going to let doubts of the enemy come in and divide us. Whenever we are together living present-centered lives, even though there may be disagreements, we always rise above those disagreements because we never put self first. We always put Jesus first. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes, the wisdom of wisdom, says two people are always better than one because by working together, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But it is bad for the person who's alone and falls because no one is there to help. If two lie down together, they can share the same blanket and stay warm. But a person alone will not be warned. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. And a rope that is woven of three braids is hard to break. Do you know why you need the life of the church? 
is because we are better together. We need each other. We need to make certain that we together are encouraged in heart. And if you are here this morning, our job is to encourage 100% of you. The heart here is the total being. We have an obligation to each other. We're not here for ourselves. We're not only for ourselves. We're not here just to get all that I can get. We are here united to encourage each other in heart. This is a beautiful picture of what God has ordained for us that build presence-centered lives. We need each other. And Paul is demonstrating that by writing this letter, attacking the false teaching of those who are tearing down those that have become united together. Listen, life is difficult. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. You've lived it. Life is filled with burdens, and we need each other to help carry those burdens. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul, in another letter that he wrote, says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This beautiful picture of encouraging one another. Encouraging one another by bearing one another's burdens. Paul is saying, you've got to fulfill this. That word there literally means a heavy weight. We have an obligation to each other to encourage one another in heart, to carry each other's burdens. This is a present-centered life. And in a refuge of grace, we encourage one another in heart. Look at what Paul wrote in the beginning of Colossians chapter 2 the very, very first verse, I I mentioned this just briefly, but I just want to point this out here. One of the things that Paul is saying in his letter is he's demonstrating the work that he's doing. He ended chapter one by alluding to this work, and here we have this powerful verse that begins chapter two. Paul said, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. Now, Paul had not met these believers. He goes on at the, at the end here. He said, and for all of you who I've not met, have not met me personally. Paul is saying, I am struggling for you. Or I am laboring for you. Now, catch the present-centered life that Paul is saying that he's living here. Paul has never met these people. He has no personal ties with these people other than he sent a disciple to gather, to be, gather the believers to start the Colossian church. And Paul is writing this letter, and he's just laying it out. I am really struggling for you. I am, another way to say this, I am really laboring for you. Well, what kind of labor is Paul doing here? This is spiritual warfare that Paul, he doesn't use the word spiritual warfare, but there's no other labor that he could actually be doing here. He's, he's chained in prison. People are able to, to come and see, and then he's able to send some letters out, and that's what this is, one of Paul's prison letters. And so he's able to write as an encouragement and heart, if you will, for the people. But he's outlining the hard, hard work that he is living. He's struggling. He's laboring for these people. Whenever you live a present-centered life, one of the things that you begin to do for other people as a part of encouragement is spiritual warfare for them. Because the enemy wants to attack, to steal, to kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 
And what we, in encouraging in heart other believers, have to do is in prayer that spiritual warfare for them. So whenever we find out somebody's struggling, we have an obligation to them because we are living present-centered lives. Present-centered people always do spiritual warfare for those that need it in the moment. It's kind of the idea of those that held up Moses' arm whenever, he, whenever they were in battle. They needed Moses' arms to be held up in victory. They were doing the battle. They were struggling because Moses did not have strength on his own. He needed other people in those moments. If we were to look around this room and look at oh, those who may not be here, but those who would say that they're a part of this refuge of grace at Whitechapel Church, those people, as well as all of the rest of us, need you to be doing spiritual warfare on our behalf. One of the things that I do frequently, because I take this obligation very, very serious, is I take the enrollment of our students at Warner Christian Academy, and I go through our church, our church database. There are a lot of names that I've never met and don't know, and some people that are in our church database that probably would say they don't, they're not a part of Whitechapel Church anymore. But I, I'll go down and I'll say, Lord, I don't know this person. And I'll just name off a bunch of names. Like, this is who I want to pray for today. Because I have an obligation, just as we have an obligation, as people living present-centered lives, to do spiritual warfare for those people that just need somebody to hold their arms up in victory. This is how we encourage in heart other people. We do spiritual warfare on their behalf. Some of these people I will never meet. Some people you may never meet. Somebody may share something with you from somebody and you may never meet that person. But yet they are our brother and sister in Christ. And as a present-centered believer, we have an obligation to make certain that we are doing warfare for them in the spiritual realms on their behalf. So Paul says here again, just to focus on this, be encouraged in heart. We've talked about what it's like to be encouraged in heart. And then he says, you have to be united in love. You have to be united in love. Well, what, what, is, what does that actually look like? United in love. When Jesus was still here on the earth, he talked a lot about love. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment that I'm going to give you. This is a new one that Jesus is throwing at them. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus had already begun to explain the work that he was going to do out of his love for humanity and dying on the cross. They didn't really catch the fullness of this. But Jesus is laying out here what it is like to love other people. Do you see how present-centered that is? There was even a moment before Jesus would go to the cross when he was in the garden and he was praying, Lord, please, if it is your will, take this away from me. However, if you want me to go to the cross, I will go to the cross. We could add words here, not to add words to Jesus, but we could add words here by saying the reason that Jesus was doing that is because he wasn't living a self-centered life. He was living a life centered on the will of the Father. 
And so Jesus said, even though it's going to hurt me, and even though I don't want to do that, because I am living a life focused on the will of God, therefore I am willing to do that. That is present-centered, that God wants us to be living. It fulfills everything that God wants us to be and do. Not the stuff these people are preaching to the Colossian believers and saying it's Jesus plus. It is simply living a life presence-centered on Him. We're not called to pull people out of suffering. We instead are called to walk alongside them and to carry their burdens. This is encouraging in heart. And this is walking with them in love. So it means that we get down in the trenches with them. And we take up a shovel. And we help digging them. And we help carrying them. We help moving them forward. And we lead them and show them how to live a present-centered life. We don't take the burden on ourselves. But we support our brothers and sisters. And we move them forward. Here are the two key words that Paul has given to us are united and love. United and the word love. Two words that I think we separate sometimes. We want to talk about the love a lot. And we want to talk about what it's like to love. And we have to love, we have to love, we have to love, we have to love. But we can't separate this word united in front of it. I would think that the word united is equally as important as the word love here. Because Paul says, again, these are the goals. You're encouraged in heart and then united in love. Paul doesn't say just united. He says united in love. And Paul doesn't just say that you're encouraged in heart and you love. But he puts united and love, and he puts them together, united. So just as it's important for us to understand, who is it that's encouraging you? We have to equally answer the question, who is it that you are united with? Who is it that you are united with? One of the things that I love about our Sunday mornings is that we get to gather together as the body of believers United in love. We are united together here in a beautiful way that God ordained on Sunday morning. We need this time together to be united in love. I went back... um, the last, the last couple of weeks, and I've seen my Facebook memories from what it was like two years ago when at the beginning of COVID, we weren't able to be together as a church. And in looking at some of these memories that have popped up and some videos and some photos and some things that we were working on at the church that we were at in Crystal River, um, it almost created inside of me a little bit of that anxiety from what it was like a couple of years ago. We didn't know what the world was going to be like. We knew the world was going to be different, and we knew that we had to act different. But you know what the number one thing that I missed during that time was the time on Sunday morning for us being united. I missed that. I missed gathering in our community group as our community group was at our house, and we were united together. I missed that. Church is not all about Sunday morning. Church is not all about just 
when we get together in community. Church is not all about just Bible studies. Church is about us being united together and then actually going and living it outside of these walls. And so it was that being united together that I missed so, so much that I'm so thankful that we're able to join back together on Sunday morning. We need to be together because it's when we are together we can encourage one another in heart and we can be united in the love of Jesus Christ. We are a part of this congregation because we are making a declaration whenever we gather together that we are going to be united toward this goal of encouraging the hearts of one another. That is one reason why we gather together on Sunday morning. That we are living out present-centered lives as Paul has commanded the church here in the beginning of Colossians chapter 2. We have to be together. So I want to leave you with this verse again this morning. Because there is so much richness in this verse that we have to live out every single day of our lives. Paul says, I'm going to give you my goals. And my goals are short and there are two simple things. One, that we may be encouraged in heart. And two, that we would be united in love. The results of living out those two things are so that they may have the full richness or the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this week to live out these two things. Find someone that you can encourage in heart. And the second thing is be committed to uniting in love. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.